Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 128 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Land. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how you doing, girl? I'm good. Just new boot goofing. New boot goofing. Sean so gave, fancy. Sean gave me an early birthday present, and it is some patent leather white Doc Martens. They are fancy AF. I feel so badass wearing them. Uh, you should, especially when your entire outfit is black. Yeah. And have, then you have the white You gotta Doc have a Martins. statement shoe. Yeah. A statement shoe. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It goes well with your statement hair. <laughs> so other than that, uh, just getting ready for my vacay. Yeah. Uh, my mom is getting frustrated because she keeps trying to talk to me about what we're going to do on vacay. I don't like to overplan things. Oh, yep. And then I get, dis- she messages and then I get distracted and I forget to message back. So when you hear this tomorrow, mom, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry about, sorry about that. I do that thing where I don't like notifications. So I open it, but then I'm not emotionally ready to respond yet. <laughs> and then I, the notification is gone and then I forget. So we've got this recording. I've uh-huh. got band cracky. Uh-huh. Uh, next week, I've got we've got to record twice. Mm, I was going to ask you when we had to record twice because I wasn't one hundred percent sure. But that's good to keep in mind. Okay, next week, next week we've we're got, recording twice. We've got new another sure another band cracky in there, and then before you know it, it's going to be Viva Las Vegas, baby. Yeah, baby. Yeah. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, I had a massage today. Nice, nice. I know. It was one of those things where I was up really early this morning doing research uh, and before work. (laughs) (laughs) And I was sitting there and I was like, okay, so many parts of my body are broken. It's only a 45-minute massage. Where do I want her to focus? I ended up on my carpal tunnel. Just Uh, Ah, yep. But, you know, next time I'm going to get in those hips and the butt because they have a butt massage. Yeah, she does actually a pretty good butt massage. If anybody out there listening has never had a butt massage, get one. You don't know how much your butt is in pain until you have somebody massage your butt. Yeah. Once once the pain goes away, you're like, oh, my God, is this what it feels like to no longer be a pain in the butt? (laughs) Is this what it's like to have a normal ass? Brittany could never have a normal ass because her ass is banging. Aw, thank you. That's what Steve says. I like to objectify you sometimes. That's okay. It's it, fine if ladies do it. It's from a place of love. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. My location this week uh-huh. is, uh, is, is in Ontario. Oh, going to Canada. Going to Canada. Because, you know, normally around our birthdays, we start venturing out. And I realized it had been a while since we ventured out. But this isn't like across the sea. This is just, you know, across the border. So have you ever heard of Casa Loma? Uh, no. Okay. Casa Loma is a Gothic Revival castle-style mansion and garden in Midtown, Toronto, Ontario. Okay, first of all, dream house. (laughs) It was first built in 1914. It was actually like a three-year project from 1911 to 1914. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. By Sir Henry Palat. Inspired by his travels to Europe, Sir Henry wanted to build him and his wife Mary a castle on the hill. 
He wanted the house to overlook the city of Toronto. Architect E.J. Lennox, who designed several historic landmarks in the city, was asked for the job. The mansion resembles an English castle, one of Sir Henry's wishes, mm-hmm. um, because his ancestors were English. He wanted to get back to his roots. Oh, yes, yes, yes. His yes. colonizer roots. <laughs> the first buildings were, uh, that were built were the stables. Uh-huh. Sir Henry wanted his prize-winning horses near them. And a tunnel connects Casa Loma to these stables. Sir Henry and Lady Mary didn't live at the mansion for long, unfortunately, because after about nine years, they were forced to leave because they ran out of money. Oh, they shouldn't have made that house so fancy. Their debt got the better of them, and uh, the city of Toronto was like, huh, seized. Oh, no. A little snippet I found from Culture Trip spoke of a little-known fact about this location. So this is a hashtag fun Fun fact fact. for you. Awesome. Love that. A military secret lurked in the stables at Casa Loma during World War II. During this period, German U-boats threatened shipping services between Britain and North America. So to combat this threat, Britain developed the ASDIC device, which was an early form of sonar that could be used to detect U-boats at a distance of 8 kilometers. However, in a terrifying attack, Britain's ASDIC-producing plant was bombed by German planes. Yikes. So they decided they needed a secret location for the ASDIC laboratory. And a Canadian engineer, William Corman, was assigned to figure out where the fuck they were going to put it. Mm-hmm. And he came up with the idea of using Casa Loma's stables as the, like, area for it. So not... How big are these stables? They're pretty fucking big. Okay. They're pretty big. So that was their secret research lab, and the idea worked. Even in Toronto, city councilors were kept in the dark regarding this fact. It was on a very, very need, need, need-to-know basis. Mm-hmm. And so little did, because at this time it was owned by the city, so it's been a tourist attraction for all this time. (laughs) Little did these uh, tourists know that the construction in progress, sorry for the inconvenience sign outside of the stables, like showing that they couldn't tour it, was because there was, you know, like a manufacturing laboratory for war tools. I'm forever going to be suspicious of... Places that are now off limits due to construction. It was not until decades later that this secret fact came out to the public. And they were like, (gasps) gasp, gasp. The castle is now owned by the city of Toronto and is regarded as a treasured heritage landmark. Mm -hmm. The seven-story high building has has housed a vintage car exhibition since 2014. And Casa Loma also has five acres of gardens and the hunting lodge and the stables that were originally there still stand. It is one of Toronto's top tourist attractions and hospitality venues. Each year, over 650,000 visitors tour Casa Loma and the Estate Gardens. A perfect backdrop for special occasions. Weddings. Parties. Proms. War laboratories. War laboratories. (laughs) The unique architecture has also made it a highly desirable location for film, television, and photo shoots. Oh, I bet. The site is operated by the Liberty Entertainment Group, a company known for Toronto entertainment venues. Every October, the grounds of Casa Loma will be transformed into an immersive theatrical experience called Legends of Horror. 
and I was looking it up, and it looks pretty fucking badass. Uh, yeah, it's like a gothic castle. Kara, if you're listening, how far away is this from you? And when we visit, do we want to do it in October, and we want to go to... I feel like it's pretty far away. It probably is. I'm just like... Most things in Canada are, are really far, far away, away from each other. I realize this is an <laughs> unrealistic expectation, okay? I okay, know but that. Cara, let's go. But Cara, let's go. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. But as it turns out, you may not have to wait for October for a spooky experience at this location. Because it turns out that the castle itself, despite having no document... Documented deaths on the premises mm-hmm. is haunted. Oh. Staff and guests at the venue have shared enough stories with multiple sources to give this place its reputation. There are tales of seeing a mysterious lady dressed in white, hearing the mutters and sighs of a crotchety old man near the stables, or having other paranormal experiences such as disembodied voices, sounds of footsteps, and doors that open on their own accord. Classic. The castle even offers ghost tours led by Canada's Most Haunted, or CMH. Quote, we've had stories going on here since the 1930s when the Kiwanis Club took over the castle, said Michelle Desrochers, Desrochers, I don't know, is it French? It's a Canadian thing. I don't, I don't, I'm just going to call her Michelle. Michelle. Uh, Michelle. So Michelle said this. But then if it's French, is it Michelle or is it Michelle? Isn't Michelle like the, the masculine... I don't know. My mom's name is Michelle. That's what I know how to pronounce. We're going with Michelle. Okay. If uh, Michelle DeRocher's DeRocher ever hears this, I'm sorry. And feel free to send us an email correcting me on my pronunciation in the, on the off chance you're ever just listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> so the most common sighting at the location is the white lady who typically appears on the second floor but has been seen in the basement. You know we love a color-coded ghost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we love those specifically color-coded ladies. Color-coded lady ghosts. It's where it's at. The running theory for CMH is that the white lady is somebody who was a maid or some other similar employee in the early 1900s. Around the time, there was about 60,000 people in Toronto who died of influenza. Okay, that makes... I was like... And her period clothing... Her period clothing kind of lends itself to that. Mm-hmm. She's seen a lot of places by guests or by, you know, in second floor specifically, but also the basement. And it seems like it's always during closing time, like she's helping cleaning or clearing with the staff. Well, that's helpful. Yeah. They catch her all the time when they're cleaning up at the end of the day. I'm glad she's not one of those ghosts that, like, you set the table in the dining. You set all the tables in the dining room, <laughs> and then you walk in again, and they're all packed up again. You're like, Or on the floor or anything like that. <sighs> um, other popular sighting is that of Sir Henry Pallad himself. He originally commissioned the construction, so it makes sense that he and his lady, Mary, would want to hang out. Michelle spoke of an outdoor function at the Casaloma Gardens where a young boy reported seeing a man standing at the second floor window. Little boy, kind of scared, went and told a staff member who panicked because the second floor was supposed to be locked down. Oh. The staff member asked the boy to describe the man and the boy's description matched that of Sir Henry. So she took the boy to look at photos, like their history display, mm-hmm. and said, do you see the man here? And the boy pointed to the picture of Sir Henry and said, that's him. Why is he so mad? Oh. 
Wait, like, was he mad in the photo or mad in the, like, the real life ghostly version? I looked at the photo they supposedly shows. That's just him, like, sitting proper. So I wonder okay. if the guy was, like, I wonder if Sir Henry was, like, gazing out the window disapproving. Scowling. Like, what the Scowling. fuck are you doing on my land? <laughs> Staff have also spotted a woman they believe to be Lady Mary on the grounds. Mm-hmm. Though Michelle pointed out that the notoriously private woman in life is also elusive in death. At one point, the CMH team attempted to film her room, leaving a camera running there while they explored other parts of the castle. Mm-hmm. When the team returned to check the footage, the tape was gone. <laughs> so this was an old school camera. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. <laughs> a Casa Loma staff member who was there with them during this exploration, uh-huh. and Michelle said was skeptical that the castle was haunted at all. They were there for work, not as part of this, you know, paranormal investigation. Right. Someone from the from the business needs to be there to oversee all these folks running around like crazy. Yep. So this staff member had locked the door behind them. And when they got back, the door was still locked. They are confident that no living person messed with this equipment. <laughs> Michelle recalled, this was one of those older cameras where if you don't insert the tape, it won't run. So I know I put it in there, and the staff member saw me put it in, and the staff member said, I locked down the room. And I just looked at him and then said, I got nothing. (laughs) Their direct quote, the tape is missing in action to this day. Michelle then set up a different camera that stored footage on a hard drive, only to find it shut itself off, or had been shut off, after about 10 minutes of recording. Did did she see anything interesting in that 10 minutes? Mm. Nope. Mm. Just like, bleh, and then shut off. Uh. According to mediums who claim to have felt the presence of Sir Henry and Lady Mary, their spirits are not trapped here. And so they are actually choosing to be there. Which makes sense because you spend all this money and like yeah. live nine years in this dream castle of yours to be booted. It was supposed to be their forever home. And they're like, fuck you. It is our forever home. It's our forever home. Ooh. <laughs> We're goofy today. Um. All right. Michelle said a lot of mediums say they come back to what's called a visitation state because they didn't get to have the castle for very long. The tunnel leading from the castle to the stables is where another one of its most notorious ghosts is believed to roam. Many have reported feeling as though they have been grabbed or had their hair pulled while in the tunnel. Ew. People have also reported hearing the spirit in the tunnel sighing gruffly, which I imagine to be like a... (sighs) What are you... You sound like a bear. When you're frustrated, is that what the noise you make? (laughs) No, 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 no. (sighs) (laughs) You're a demon. (laughs) All right. No, I'm saying gruffly. (laughs) That is not a gruff sigh. That's a growl. (laughs) Oh, geez. Okay. So he sighs gruffly. And he has even been captured in recordings speaking and interacting with visitors. In one recording, he is heard mimicking a medium who then said, oh, he's a horrible person me, after me, trying to make contact. Me, no, he's a horrible person. Me. There's always the same tone of voice, Michelle said, 
And that's what's known as an intelligent haunting. It's not just the residual sound. It's interacting with the people. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Once again, various mediums have reached similar conclusions, coming up with the same two names popping up for the man in the tunnel, though the CMH team simply refers to him jokingly as Mr. Happy. (laughs) Michelle said she believes the evidence points to the voice belonging to the ghost of a friend of Sir Henry's, who they had hired to keep track of their prized winning horses. So he worked in the stables. It makes sense that he'd be down in the tunnels. Michelle said, we haven't been very successful with photographs or video, but we've had success with voice recordings. Casa Loma has given up her voice. The one thing she's done, she's let us hear her. One reviewer hopped on TripAdvisor in 2013 to share their two cents about the location in a post titled, Now Ghosts Can Speak, Casa Loma, Haunted or Not. Oh. Some of her review had stuff that she learned while on the tour, which Michelle hosted her tour. Okay. Um, my Googling did not reveal this, but I guess she could have made it up, but I feel like she would, they would probably be saying what Michelle told them. So I guess I don't know. Right. Casa Loma is a terrific venue and hosts all sorts of unusual and fun events, such as the regular Most Haunted Canada ghost hunting tour. The following is from my blog post. So she copied her blog post, put it on a TripAdvisor review. Mm. I am well known amongst my close family and friends for claiming to have a well-honed sixth sense. I feel and am susceptible to certain atmospheres in or surrounding places or things. That being said, I have never had a personal, physical, paranormal experience, one that I can own. I have never seen a spirit. I have never been touched by a spirit entity, witnessed orbs or shadows, and I had never heard anything contextually inexplicable. Fun word to say. Contextually inexplicable. Until, that is, I did my ghost hunting tour around Casa Loma on the 1st of November. With gadgets and voice recordings in tow, Michelle of Canada's Most Haunted eloquently walked us through the history of Casa Loma in general and recorded and researched paranormal events in particular. Michelle resisted the opportunity to switch on the drama and recounted stories of a myriad of paranormal activities in a very matter-of-fact and rational way, which, of course, made it all the more believable. We were also talked through an amazing array of equipment, explaining functionality, degree of effectiveness, and cost. Though less than 150 years old, Casa Loma has all the ingredients of any self-respecting spirit would die for. It has a colorful history— Aside from the family and staff, it housed a platoon of British redcoats. What? That's the part where I was like, what? Because it's the 1900s. Right. But I don't know. They didn't go further than that. Did they still call them redcoats then? That's what I don't know. Huh. Huh. Uh, Was a refuge for groups of Scottish orphan kids. Also nothing that ever came up in my research. But they put it in here. Okay. Witnessed its owner lose its fortune. It became... A hotel and then degenerated through neglect for many years before being rescued by the city of Toronto and eventually opened to the public. It has a myriad of nooks, crannies, and unexplained walled-up spaces and secret passageways. It has a maze of accessible turrets in the attic and rattling, clanking plumbing in the basement. It has, in fact, a gothic atmosphere in spades. So it is fair to say that my buddy and I were pretty psyched when we joined the two-part tour of this castle. The smallest group of about 40 people was split into two and either started in the tunnels or in the house and then swapped after about an hour. 
which included a guided, anecdotal-filled trek around the designed areas with stop-offs in the spirit hotspots. Mm. And 10 minutes or so in darkened rooms or tunnels doing impromptu EVP phenomena sessions. So my slash our weird experience. After a conducted group wandered through the tunnels, stables, and gardens quarters, we all had about 15 minutes to revisit areas of interest by ourselves. We ambled slowly back alone among the tunnel, laughing at our own heightened and somewhat dampened expectations. Mm -hmm. Then out of nowhere, we heard what could only be described as a huge explosion. Oh, I thought I was going to get to do my my gruff sigh again. (laughs) No. Laughing nervously, we hightailed it out of the tunnel into the well-lit environments of the basement area. Back at base camp, a.k.a. the Great Hall, nobody else mentioned having heard anything, even though there must have been at least 20 people in the nearby vicinity. So, feeling rather foolish, we kept it to ourselves. We probably deprived a lot of spirit-hungry folk the opportunity to get really excited about the smallest thing. We know what we both heard, and my pal is an eminently sensible, non-drama queen type, so I know it wasn't just my imagination. We'll never know. What fun. (laughs) What fun. What fun. If you want to experience Casa Loma for yourself, try to get in on this spooky spirit action. Uh, Apparently it's open seven days a week. Tours are available along with the ghost tours, so if you don't want the non-spooky vibe, you can just do a normal tour. Mm-hmm. And like I said, each year around Halloween, the mansion is turned into a huge haunted house. The castle-like mansion was awesome. used in many movies, television programs, such as it was used in X-Men, mm-hmm. uh, Crimson Peak, Titans, and many more. Damn. And that is the story of Casa Loma in Toronto, Ontario. Well, that was lovely. Cara, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So... On a skeptic scale mm-hmm. of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give Casa Loma? I'm going to give it a three. I'm right there with you. Right down the middle. Yeah. It seems like a very standard haunting, very yeah. standard background. Not a standard building. I, I've i never been to Toronto, but I can't imagine a English-style castle looks normal amongst all the other buildings. Right. I know nothing about Toronto. And this is why we need Cara here. Because, you know, she would just be able to lay down some facts. Some Canada facts. I absolutely believe Ooh. that she would. Uh, like, I I wonder if she's I'm, shouting at her headphones or computer or whatever she's listening through right now. Being like, that's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> the whole time, all I keep thinking is like, watch this. I'm going to have done this whole thing and I'm not pronouncing it right. <laughs> Because that would be she'll, very fitting for me. She'll tweet at me. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry. I'll, fa- I'll let you know what she says. All right. What do you got for me this week? Uh, well, tonight I am finally going to cover a topic that's been on my list for over a year. Ooh. Uh-huh. So I've been covering a lot of haunted locations recently. So I figured it's about time to switch it up and tell you about Robert Johnson. That has been on your... Oh, my God. That's been on your list since we made the little dibs list, which... Was less than a year into it. Yeah. 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 All right, I'm ready for Do this. Do you know about Robert Johnson? No. Okay. It's a very standard name. That's like a John Smith style name. Oh, so you have no reference to who Robert Johnson is. I have is. zero reference. It's like, that's like a Bob Henderson, John Smith, <laughs> Robert Johnson. Like it could be any name in Minnesota. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> He's not from Minnesota though. Uh, but I will, uh, let me, let me tell you about Robert Johnson. All right. All right. So for those of you who don't know, 
Robert Johnson was a phenomenal American blues musician from the 1930s. Oh, see, blues, you lost me. Mmm, it's so good. And I actually spent an entire summer just really vibing on early 1900s like blues music. Uh, there was just something about sitting out in the sunshine with a cup of coffee in the morning or a cold beer in the evening, listening to musicians like Robert Johnson, Sun House, Willie Brown, Howlin' Wolf. I actually got a lot of the recommendations for who to listen to from Charlie Parr. Nice. Whose style is very much inspired by musicians from the Mississippi. Mississippi Delta. Um, so if you know Charlie Parr and you love Charlie Parr, you might like Robert Johnson. Good to know. Mm-hmm. But another really interesting thing about Robert Johnson is that he wasn't always this amazing musician. In fact, for a really long time, no matter how hard he practiced, he was known to be pretty terrible, actually. Oh. Uh-huh. Are we dealing with like a never mind, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get ahead of you. Until one night. According to legend, he sold his soul to, to the devil, a master guitar player for which he is now famous. Worship gay Satan. Yeah. So Robert Leroy Johnson was born on May 8th, 1911 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, though I do believe that his surname at birth was actually Dodds. Okay, so a really quick recap of his childhood. Robert's mother, Julia, was married to a man named Charles Dodds, and together they had 10 children, oi, and they were living it up in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Then Charles Dodds was run out of Hazelhurst by a lynch mob due to a quote-unquote dispute with some folks, and I'm sure the fact that he was a black man in the early 1900s in Mississippi had nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. At which time Julia also left Hazelhurst. About two or so years later, Julia found her husband, Charles, who had now changed his last name to Spencer, and he was living it up in Memphis. And so she took her toddler, Robert, and left him to be raised by his dad, which, like, no shade. She's got nine other children to care for. I don't really know what her life situation was. Anyways, so it was there in Memphis where he was learning to read, write, do arithmetic, all that fun stuff. That is where he first heard the blues Heck yeah. And he fell in love. Eventually, he met up with his mom again when he was just a tween. She had gotten remarried. They were living in Arkansas, then moved back to Mississippi, to the Mississippi Delta, where he continued his education. And it was sometime around then that Julia told Robert that his biological father was not Charles Dodds, but rather a man named Noah Johnson, after which Robert officially adopted the surname Johnson, thus becoming Robert Robert Johnson. Johnson. In February of 1929, at the age of 18, Robert Johnson married 16-year-old Virginia Travis, who soon after became pregnant. Robert, in an attempt to provide for his family, became a traveling musician, playing in juke joints and street corners, basically anywhere that he could, although... He wasn't very good, as I said at the beginning, (laughs) but still, he was determined to make this his career. Meanwhile, Virginia went to stay with her parents in northwestern Mississippi during her pregnancy. However, when Robert finally made his way to Virginia's parents' house in Penton to meet up with her and their new baby, he was devastated to find out that both his wife and his child had died during childbirth in April of 1930. Oh, that's devastating. And Virginia's ultra-conservative and religious parents blamed Robert because instead of being with his family, he was off playing the devil's music. 
<laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So now alone and estranged from his in-laws, Robert moved home. And it was around this time that legendary bluesman Sunhouse moved to Robbinsville, Mississippi to be where his musical partner, I don't know why I was so happy musical? to say his musical partner, Willie Brown, that's where Willie lived. So Sunhouse is like, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll hang out there. And it was here that Robert met both Sun and Willie. Now, apparently, Robert Johnson played a mean harmonica. Okay. Even Sun praised his playing. But again, he was quite shite at guitar. Uh, but he kept on trying. You know, he just he just kept on trying. Practice makes perfect. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So one night during a Sunhouse and Willie Brown show intermission, Robert felt inspired. He walked right up on that stage, and he picked up Sunhouse's beautiful guitar. He's like, maybe if I have a professional nice guitar, I'll be able to play better. Mm-hmm. And just like that, he turned the entire room full of people against him. <laughs> they were booing him, shouting at him to get off the stage. Sunhouse would recall in a 1997 interview about Johnson, quote, folks, they come and say, why don't you go out and make that boy put that thing down? He's running us crazy, unquote. The owner pulled Sun and Willie out of their break early to kick Robert off the stage. You know, this is a good example of like, man, it's glad the internet didn't exist back then (laughs) because that poor man would be cyber bullied after a performance. If that's the way the crowd reacted in that moment. Yeah, yeah, they were like, get off the stage, boo. And poor Robert Johnson walked out of that juke joint feeling a fool. And then he just disappeared. According to legend, not long after his abysmal performance in Robbinsville, Robert Johnson decided to do something about this dream of his to play blues guitar. He took his guitar to the crossroads of Highway 49 and 61 at midnight, got down on his knees, and prayed to whoever would listen. He would do anything to become a great blues guitar player. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then a man came walking out of the dark. He was a large, elderly black man wearing a straw hat, and he walked up to Robert and asked to see his guitar. It's out of tune, he said. Robert handed it to him. The man tuned the guitar, played a few songs, and then handed it back. Now that I've tuned your guitar for you, you need to do something for me. Don't do it, Robert. Don't do it. Don't do it. And this man, who some call the devil, as in the Christian representation of the devil, while others claim it to be Papa Legba. Okay. Do you know about Papa Legba? Yes. Yes. So Papa Legba is the Haitian voodoo deity of Crossroads and basically the gatekeeper between the human and the spirit world. And you can't really talk to anyone in the spirit world unless you have Papa Legba acting as like an intermediary. That's not how you say that word. Intermediary? Thank you. Well, this man told Robert Johnson that in exchange for the talent to become a great blues man, he owed this man his soul. His soul. And then for about six months, Robert was just gone. No one knew where he went. No one had seen him. But then one day, he showed up at another Sunhouse and Willie Brown show, and Robert asked the men if he could play for a little bit. Okay. 
Now, remembering how terrible it went last time, maybe they felt bad for the kids, so they're like, okay, sure. Just like wait, just like handing the guitar, but also waiting on the sidelines to snatch it back out of his hand. Exactly. Like, do not take down our crowd, man. We just built this up. We just built this up. Oh. It's, it, you know, it's hard to come back from a down crowd. Yeah. So they, they took a risk on they, Robert. They took a pretty big risk on Robert. Risky Robert, they could have called him. <laughs> they didn't. Per all that's interesting quote, as soon as Robert Johnson began plucking his guitar, it was clear that he was no longer the same desperate musician that had been booed off the stage just a little while earlier. His playing sounded like the work of two musicians, his long, lithe fingers expertly strumming his guitar's seven strings, his vivid lyrics, at once colorful and mournful, spilled out of him with a throaty passion. He was so good, House said. When he finished, all our mouths were standing open. I said, well, ain't that fast. He's gone now. Uh, Johnson's genius artistry had seemingly come out of nowhere, unquote. Practice makes perfect. But in the event that your practice doesn't make perfect, because as my swim coach always said, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. In the event <laughs> that practice doesn't make perfect, you can always sell your soul to Beelzebub. I wouldn't recommend it. Eh. What's okay. a soul worth? Like fucking $4.50 net these days with inflation? Are you kidding me? Okay. Well, I'll keep my soul intact. Thank you very much. <laughs> so just just for you naysayers out here, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if you're a naysayer. <laughs> but there is also a theory that he didn't sell his soul to the devil, but rather he went and he learned from this guy named Ike Zimmerman who uh, per hoodoo tradition said that you can only learn to play the blues by practicing in a graveyard at midnight. Hey, you know what? Either one of those options sound badass. It's pretty spooky. So either, either he sold his soul uh-huh. or he practiced regularly in a graveyard at midnight for six months while he disappeared. Uh-huh. Either way, sounds like a goth person goth person either way it sounds like a goth person's dream yeah except for people who knew robert johnson were like we've never heard of ike zimmerman so we don't think that that's what happened okay so so allegedly he just kind of magically got really good when he was really really bad originally uh and that was that Robert Johnson made his way through the juke joints of the Mississippi Delta, drinking, womanizing, and singing his songs and playing his guitar in a way that people had never heard before. See, Robert Johnson had a very unique way of playing rhythm, bass, and slide simultaneously, all while singing, which is basically unheard of. I can't even imagine. Like, I... Look at Charlie Parr uh-huh. and what he does. And you're just like, what? And my brain can't even, and it's, that's, that is what you're describing is way more complicated than what Charlie Parr does. Yes. And even then I'm still like with Charlie Parr, I'm like, oh my God, look at him go. Dude, Eric Clapton apparently studied Robert Johnson trying to figure out how he did it. And Eric Clapton, who is an amazing guitar player, could not for the life of him figure out how he did it. He's like, this is what he must be doing. I don't know how he did it. I don't know, Charlie. But the next time you see him, uh-huh. you should ask him if he can do what Robert did. Okay. <laughs> I will. All right. So 
This particular method of playing led to even more rumors about how Robert had suddenly learned to play so well, as well as the fact that Robert had this habit of playing backwards. Like the guitar was flipped, like Paul McCartney? Like with his back to the audience. Oh. And while some people say he did it because the acoustics are better, others claim that it was to hide the fact that Robert wasn't the only one strumming on that guitar. Oh. Uh-huh. I just play backwards when I play my tuba because sometimes I get anxiety. <laughs> they, <laughs> some some people also thought maybe he was nervous. Yeah. But, I, I mean, he had no problem many, getting out there and playing when he was really bad, so I don't know why. I was going to say, though, how many times do you have to play to a crowd that boos you off the stage before you get so nervous that you need to look the other direction? Right. <laughs> right. I would just give up because if I'm not good at something right away, I give up. Uh, and this actually can be heard in his song, Crossroad Blues. If you listen carefully, you might be able to hear what sounds like two guitars playing at once, even though this record features only him. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, you guys can't see it, but I'm frantically waving my arm. Uh-huh. Crossroad Blues, like I was at a crossroads and I sold my soul to a demon at a crossroads? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear it. I can I can hear what you're talking about with it sounding like two guitars. Like two guitars. Yep. Yeah. That, oh. So allegedly he is, yeah, allegedly he is playing just by himself and he's playing two different parts at the exact same time, uh, like the rhythm on two strings and then the bass on the other while also singing. Whoa. And he learned to play like this in less than a year. No, that's After fine. Being it makes terrible. sense. It makes sense, right? It makes sense. We're we're buying that. No, we're not. No, we're not. So after several years as a traveling musician playing town to town, Robert Johnson finally caught his big break in 1936 when he landed a chance to record his music with the American Record Company in San Antonio, Texas. He recorded his first single, uh, "Terrain Plain Blues," which sold 5,000 copies. In 1936. Uh, And earned him... Is that a lot in 1936? I would think so. Okay. And earned him another recording session. Once again, folks noted that he played into the corner of the recording booth with his back facing everyone. Also, incredibly, Robert seemed to be able to play perfect every time. Because even where most professional and talented musicians tend to do multiple takes during a recording just to get it right, Robert was a one-and-done kind of fella, and he finished all eight tracks in a single day. He was like, we got it, fuck it. Yep. You know what? I can't blame him, too. Studio time. Fucking expensive. Well, I think people, other people were paying for him. Well, I know, but still. Yeah. Like, maybe he was just a thrifty man. Oh, Maybe, maybe, maybe he's like, if I do all these in one day, then can I have another session? Can I have another session? If we do all these in one day, can I get like some kickback for the money of and time of yours I didn't spend? Yeah, I'm not really sure how that worked in the 1930s. I'm just going with it. Okay, okay. I don't want fop. I'm a Dapper Dan man. I don't know if that's the 30s or not. <laughs> uh, and still, the rumors continued about him selling his soul to the devil with the help of Robert himself. Because between 1936 and 1937, Robert recorded a total of 29 songs, including Crossroad Blues, 
me and the devil and hellhound on my trail. And while some folks think that this might just be a humorous way for Robert to poke fun at people who think that the blues are the devil's music, others believe that these songs were a confession. From his song, Me and the Devil, it, it, some of the lyrics are, Early this morning, when you knocked on my door, and I said, Hello, Satan, I believe it's time to go. Me and the devil, walking side by side, I'm going to see my woman till I get satisfied. That would. He says it so much better. Okay, we need a, a metal band. Any of you listening? You in metal bands? I need you to do a metal cover of that song, because that is the most brutal fucking lyrics. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That'd make a great fucking metal song. And so it's a, it's a classic blues song. Well, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, like, blues is where it belongs, but I think that lyrics oh, yeah, would also totally. be very fitting in a metal capacity. Early this morning. <laughs> I want you to front my metal when band. When you knocked upon my door. <laughs> and I said, hello, Satan. You were born to be, <laughs> yeah, you take a drink. You were born to be a metal vocalist. <laughs> I can only do whisper metal. I can't do actual metal. My voice isn't that strong. Anyway, uh, despite the fact that Robert Johnson was gaining the reputation of being this amazing blues man, he was continued to be plagued with a streak of bad luck at the same time. So shortly after his miraculous musical transformation, Robert met and married another woman, who, in what seems like a tragic deja vu, Shortly after, got sick and passed away as well. Oh, I think this was all before he was twenty-two. Oh my God! Two wives passed away before he was twenty-two. I know, right? Uh, Robert was hit by a truck, though. <laughs> luckily, not seriously injured. Though one source did say that uh, after the incident, someone who would used who someone who used to play with him was so like. It was so weird that he's like, I'm not playing with you anymore. You seem like you might be cursed. <laughs> uh, the police smashed his guitar for no good reason, other than the well, fact that just, he was black. I was like, that's just police uh, brutality. He was overlooked by some of the venues that really should have been trying to book him based upon his popularity. And in 1938, Robert tragically passed away at the age of 27. 27 Club. So he's a member. He's probably the original 27 Club. Shh, we're getting there. Oh, shit. <laughs> I stopped myself from get, jumping ahead too far yeah, before. Yeah, don't do but. it, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and his cause of death is actually still a bit of a debate. So one story, like the leading legend, goes that on August 13th, 1938, Robert was hanging out at a bar. He was drinking whiskey. He was chatting up a lovely lady. A lovely lady who happened to be dating or married to the bartender. Oh. Uh huh. Annoyed that Robert was hidden on his woman, the bartender allegedly slipped poison into the next bottle of whiskey that Robert ordered. Supposedly, another bar patron happened to see this go down and attempted to knock the bottle out of his hand. But whether it was because he wasn't paying attention to what the guy was seeing or if he was just too drunk to comprehend, Robert ended up slamming the bottle of whiskey just to spite him. Yeah, didn't. Yeah. yeah. Shortly after, Robert began complaining of stomach pains. Robert had to be. All right. For the record, you don't need to be poisoned to have stomach pains after slamming a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> it also wasn't his first bottle of whiskey. 
You know, yeah, he seems like he's probably used to it, though. Right? You know. So Robert had to be held back to his room in the early morning hours. And over the next three days, his condition his condition steadily worsened. And witnesses reported that he died in a convulsive state of severe pain. He died on August 16th, 1938. Okay, that does not sound like poisoning to me, though. That sounds like alcohol poisoning. I don't know. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. I don't know. Three days is kind of a long time. True. Very true. I just, that's a lot of fucking whiskey. <laughs> Some people are really good at drinking whiskey. Not me. Not me either. I have one shot. And I'm like, <laughs> you guys, you guys are fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to do bedtime. A, we're going to do an episode where we each take a shot of whiskey. Oh my God. But we have to record it. We're going to make the same face that Buffy does when she takes the shots and she's like, I want to nominate that we pick one night where we have nothing to do the next day uh-huh. so we can suffer through our hangover. <laughs> and I want to. I know why I want to. <laughs> no, we'll do it earlier in the night. Okay. So that we're not up really late. We'll drink a bunch of water before bed. I'll crash here. Okay. So that nobody's driving. Okay. And we will get drunk record ourselves record, being idiots <laughs> record a bonus episode where we pick a story that we particularly think will be hilarious well drunk and then we'll have a drunken sailor podcast episode <laughs> it's gonna be like drunken history drunk yes how do you feel about that drunken haunted history i yes. love it i love all right, it all right um yeah so he was probably poisoned uh but he, for some reason his death certificate said that he died of syphilis I mean, was he hoeing? Maybe he was kind of hoeing a bit. Maybe he had syphilis too. Personally, I believe the whiskey one, as it's actually backed up by several people who used to play with him, who allegedly were there. They're the ones who like helped him to his bed at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. Sadly, Robert Johnson died just days before playing Carnegie Hall in New York City, which would have been his biggest show yet. And it wasn't until after his death that he became the famous musician that he always dreamed of being, inspiring folks like Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, and even Led Zeppelin. Per the New York Times, quote, decades after his death, he became one of the most famous guitarists who ever lived. Hailed as a lost prophet who, the dubious story goes, sold his soul to the devil and epitomized Mississippi Delta blues in the bargain. Robert Johnson is also said to be the first, the origin of the 27 Club Curse. There you go. Which, if you don't know what that is, you have to tune in next week. Oh, you're going to do a 27. I was going to start naming names, but I won't name names. Don't do it. Don't do it. I love it. And that is the story of Robert Johnson. I am so sad. Robert Johnson now, I did not, I literally did not know that this was the origin, is in the... The idea of him uh-huh. is in so many like points of popular culture. Oh, Supernatural definitely mentions it. Supernatural. Uh, I'm and I'm actually at one point I said, I don't want Bop. I'm a Dapper Dan man. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure there's a reference to him in Oh Brother Where Out There. Where bleh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? I'm pretty sure that's a thing. Uh, possibly, yeah. Because I think they pick up somebody along the way, or they meet with somebody, oh. or something. Because that's isn't that where they go into like recording? Yeah. yeah. 
And I, I haven't seen that in years, so I'm not really sure, but I kind of maybe, maybe. And I can't name the shows off the top of my head, but maybe I'll make a thing about it on on Instagram or Facebook or something. Yeah. Because I'm positive there are many more because I can picture them in my head. I just can't name which specific shows they're from. Yeah, but like the, the uh, Hellhounds on my trail. Yeah. That's how on my back. That's totally supernatural. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They they took that and they ran with it. And then they ran with it for 10 more seasons. <laughs> After it had already existed for five seasons, Supernatural went too long. I'm going to say it. Don't hate me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Once Jack showed up, I really got not interested. I don't like Jack. Yeah, but, but he, still. he didn't need to be there. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a supernatural review podcast. Let's move on. Uh, yeah. So, skeptic scale, paranormal. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Robert Johnson sold his soul, or do you think that he just was hanging out with Ike Zimmerman in the graveyard at midnight and became wildly fantastic at guitar in the course of six months after being notably horrendous at it? I'm choosing to go with four. Okay. Four because, now hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Okay. I would never sell my soul. I feel like you're about to wink at me. But if I could, (laughs) and it made me a really awesome tuba player, I might do it. So I would never, but like. You might. But like, if I was approached on a crossroads and somebody was like, I could make that red tuba you play, like, you could sound really good. Like, you could have multiple bands with that tuba instead of just the one band you have now. Like, if I could do that. So maybe I'm giving it a four because I want it to exist, but I don't necessarily fully buy in, so it should be a three, but I'm giving it a four because I want it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it a five. Oh, you fully bought in. I fully buy in. You are, I, like, I you am- are like, you are a total wrestling Kyle right now. You are bought in. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but yeah, okay. I am. I'm totally a, a Kyle wrestling. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't know why. This has been a story that I've known for a really long time. I just have always been like, yep, that's how that happened. Also, just to be clear, none of the bargain, obviously, was that he would get famous. Like, you wouldn't... It just made you the good. The benefits of, of being, like, a famous tuba player. I don't care about that. What, I just want to be that good. What if your curse, though, is that you're this amazing tuba player in all these bands, but everyone else in the band just sucks, so no one goes to see you anyway, and then no one knows you're so good? I was going to make a joke, and then I didn't make a joke. <laughs> I still could make the ju- joke. Not a single one of my band members listens to this podcast. Do they I make also, the joke? They also don't really suck. Do I, No, they don't, but I yeah. want to make the joke that they do. Okay, do, make the joke. <laughs> what else is new? But um, <laughs> No, just kidding. None of you suck. If you ever listen to this, please don't be mad. Don't kick me out of the band. I need Vincica Hosen, please. <laughs> Vincica Hosen wouldn't exist without you. You're the most German thing about it. <laughs> You're not wrong on that specific part. <laughs> <laughs> and to end this evening, I got a listener story. Woot woot. Let's do it. All right. So we have a listener story from a repeat. Pete and repeat. Sat on a fence. Pete fell off. Who was there? Repeat? Why why is it repeat? 
It's just a thing to make you keep saying the same thing over and over again. It's every time I say repeat, that's what I think of. Oh, I thought of the adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so Christy is the one who wrote us a bunch of locations. She just sent me a friend request on Facebook. Yeah. I sent her a message back after this it. one. And I was like, hey, I miss your beautiful face. But she sent us a email saying Faye stuff and a story. Awesome. I think you're going to like this part, this first part. Does she call us queens? No, no. But we mm. mean, we love that, but no. Okay. Christy says, hello again, you two. As I keep listening and catching up on past episodes, still going backwards, I keep thinking of other things. The first has to do with the latest episode. It was just a thought, but the part about the woman's hair being tied to the bed is classic Bogart activity. I'm sure you both probably know about the whole brownie slash Bogart thing. It was really just a thought and wanted to mention it. I thought Brittany would find it interesting. Also, I was very into Faye lore for a long time. Anytime either of you want to talk Faye, I'll be all for it. Okay. Uh, she must not have gotten to the episodes yet where I keep mentioning the Faye and you keep shunning me. <laughs> <laughs> the other Faye thing I have is about Selkies. I recently listened to the episode about mermaids and you talked about Selkies for a bit. Mm-hmm. It immediately made me think of the movie The Secret of Roan Inish. It's one of my favorites. It's not well known in the least and it's from the mid-90s. I wouldn't even mention it because you can never find it to watch, but it's on Tubi right now, so it's free to watch. I suggest giving it a watch. It's cute, touching movie, and it has a selkie. You I... heard it here first. Tubi is a free app. You can watch The Secret of Roan Inish. I have not seen that since I was a wee little child. Well, it's on Tubi right now. It's free. You just got to deal with some ads. And some honestly, Tubi. honestly, the ads on Tubi are so minor. Totally worth it. I mean, I have ads on Hulu too, so. Sean and I watch, it's less ads on Tubi than it is on Hulu. And I pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly is a story about me doing an EVP session at my old house in West Duluth. <gasps> I had promised my wife, Carrie, that I would never do it because it freaked her out, but we were selling the house and leaving. A little background about the house first. My grandparents bought it in 1942 when they got married and lived in it all of their lives. My mother grew up in that house. My grandfather died when I was 12, and he died in that house. Side note, he died in the bed that my wife and I slept in every night with a new mattress. Okay. I didn't tell her that either until after the bed had been destroyed. (laughs) That was mean. Oh, Carrie. (laughs) Wait, Christy, A, does Carrie listen? And is this a new revelation for her? B, like, like, did did you tell her prior to sending this email? I must know because I can picture Carrie's face in my head. Well, she already said that she told her, but not until after it was destroyed. Okay, okay, but still I can picture... Carrie's face in my head. (laughs) Like, I forgot about that. Back to the story. When my grandmother could no longer care for herself, she went to the nursing home and my family and I moved into the house. Partially so that we could be close in case grandma needed anything, and also because the house had been signed over to my mother and I years before. So it was half my house and I could take care of it well. Mm -hmm. Fast forward about 20 years and my wife and I decided we wanted to get rid of all of our shit and buy an RV To live in a van down by the river. We still live in the RV down here in southern Arizona, even though we don't travel anymore. This place rocks and we're never leaving. (laughs) So back to their West Duluth time. Mm -hmm. So we're packed up. We're going to be leaving soon. And I decide it's now or never. 
I have ghost radar on my phone, so it wasn't any special equipment or anything, but I still use it now and then in other locations. There had always been little things here and there while I lived in the house. A bump here, a knock there when I didn't put something away or decided not to clean something up. I'd always said, I know, Grandma, I'll do it later, I promise. Mm -hmm. None of it ever freaked me out. I decided to sit out on the porch in a spot my grandfather always sat in. I didn't specifically address either of them, but I just said I was listening if they wanted to say anything. A few words started to come through pretty fast. First was, grandfather. I responded with, hi, grandpa. He then said, marriage. I said something about, yes, I'm married and much happier now, referring to the fact that I was now married to my wife and the love of my life. The next word that came through was, abomination oh no and that was the end of that i said something about the fact that he doesn't get to decide that for me and i am happy i closed the app and went back to packing and cleaning i wasn't sad or upset about the whole thing honestly it didn't much surprise me considering their attitudes about things when i was a child right it was more of an eye-rolling moment that said like he had an opportunity to actually tell me something and that's That's what what he he chose chose to say really fuck's sake I'm sure I'll think of more shit as time goes on and send more stories or suggestions. Keep being your awesome selves, Christy. Aw, you're not an abomination. No. He's no. an abomination. No one's an abomination here. Fine. No one's Christy. an abomination. <laughs> Everybody is lovely in this scenario. I love Christy and Carrie, and I miss them. And, like, you know, Arizona's not that far. Okay, so we gotta go to Canada, Arizona, Arizona, Texas. Yeah, well, we're down by Arizona. We'll go to Texas. Just so many plans. (laughs) Oh dear. Oh dear. All right. If you have a listener story you would like to submit, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftoskeptic at gmail dot com. You can also visit our website www.leftoskeptic.com, dot com and click the listener stories tab at the top of the page, or you can click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you're more comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, we want to thank you all for joining us this spooky Wednesday. We love you and appreciate you all very it's much. so true. We do. Happy yeah. spooky Wednesday. Happy spooky Wednesday, y'all. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!